but I hadn't done a runner in case you were worried when I walked out. I, I went, <laughs> we were talking about being nervous, but I don't think I was quite that nervous. <laughs> I just do it, especially to those who haven't been with us necessarily following our, our tour through Esther's book. Um, but also it's good to remind ourselves. This is just a brief sketch to start with, uh, so we'll uh, know where we take up, take up the account. <coughs> King Xerxes was angry with his wife Vashti because uh, when he wanted to make a public display of her beauty, she refused. Uh, this infuriated the king. And he was drunk anyway, so he threw her aside, tossed her aside from being both his wife and the queen. And then his aides advised him to assemble a harem of beautiful young women from the realm, and the king was to choose an, a, a new queen. Esther, whose book we're reading, and she's a niece of a Jew named Mordecai, who was one of, and she was one of the young women who was in this... Um, uh, a harem of, of, of young ladies and she turned out to be the most pleasing to the king so he chose her to be his bride now Mordecai, her uncle he'd upset the king's current top man this man Haman uh, the Agagite he was a Canaanite now they, the Canaanites were the natural enemies of the Jews by now in the history of the people of God um, and he'd upset Haman because he refused to bow down to him. He refused to acknowledge him and honour him. So Haman hatched this plan. And not only would he deal with Mordecai, but he arranged the, the, the mass slaughter uh, of the people of God throughout his kingdom, uh, the, the, the Persian kingdom. Such was his hatred uh, for Mordecai. He wouldn't even leave it at that point. He'd, he'd offered uh, to pay for the whole exercise, money into the king's coffers. He, he really meant business, uh, this man. He was, he was an evil man. And we have seen through the history of, of both the people of God and, and, and our whole world ever since. There's all God, God, as it were, raises up an enemy, only, of course, to throw him down again. On his way back from court, having got the king's permission to do all this, um, he sees Haman sitting there in the king's gate. And this infuriates him. So he goes home to his wife and they discuss um, uh, the, the whole situation. And the result of that, you can read that in the last verse of chapter 5, is that they, they, that they agree, he agrees to build this enormous gallows and hang Mordecai on it. So that's where we're up to as we go into chapter 6. If I was going to give this, sometimes I give a, a study, a, a name. That's why I chose that hymn before, before the last hymn we sung. Uh, there is a higher throne. And that's what we're going to see. There is a higher throne. And, th and that throne rules the whole of the, of the world and the, uh, and the universe. Uh, the psalmist in the second psalm, he says, The one enthroned in heaven loves. The Lord scoffs at them. In the other versions say, he holds them in derision. Our God does laugh. He laughs at the folly and the sin of men and the pride of men. The, the, whole, the whole of this book is almost like a comic tragedy because it's awful in, in some aspects of it. But you can, you can 
you can imagine God laughing and scoffing at men. Now, we know that God isn't named in this, in this book. He doesn't even, there's no word from God in this book. Uh, he's silent. But as we go through it, and as we've been going through it already, we see, we see the hand of God in every detail. God is a God of detail, as I hope, I hope we'll, we'll see uh, as we go, go through the, uh, this particular chapter. It's one of the best chapters. I felt sorry for the, the, I've forgotten his name, Chris, was it, who came to speak on the second half of chapter five, which is a very, we were talking about it. It's a very difficult uh, part of the book to preach on. This is, this is wonderful. I'm very pleased <laughs> to be given this part of the part of the account uh, the next thing to say by way of introduction is Solomon writes in his Proverbs in chapter 10 verse 28 the hope of the righteous brings joy but the expectation of the wicked will perish and that's what we find in this particular chapter the hope of the righteous brings joy but the expectation of the wicked perishes now the, now, the two main characters in the book Haman and Mordecai, each have high hopes. They're both optimistic. They both have high hopes about the favourable outcome of the events that are occurring in the realm at this time. They're miles apart, but they both have high hopes. Haman's expectation is the death of Mordecai. He thinks he's got everything in the bag. He, he's, he's sorted it. And he can't wait to execute his malicious rage drives him on as it were he's got the king's okay he's, he's, he's got the king's approval uh, hang this man and he's what as he leaves the court he thinks I, I i've got my his, that's his expectation whereas mordecai the man of faith and we really find in one particular verse in chapter four how much a man of faith mordecai really is if you remember, if you were here and when we were going through chapter 4, um, that one of the famous verses is, um, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time of this, Mordecai and Esther. But the next bit is the important bit, in my opinion. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another source. He's convinced. Mordecai, he's not, he doesn't have doubts. Mordecai's a man of faith. And he says to Esther, well, the Lord will deliver his people, whether you are involved with it or not, because the Lord has always promised to deliver his people. So the third thing to say by way of introduction is that one of the great lessons of this book is that the Lord our God really does rule this world in every detail, he is in charge. Jesus is the true king. Not Haman, not, not Xerxes, uh, but the Lord our God. Every detail, every event, good and bad, even the sins of men, the work of the devil, they're all under control of our God and our heavenly Father. We can rest assured, as Mordecai did, he will deliver us, whatever our circumstances. So. As we go through these, these few verses, these 14 verses, I trust we will we'll see how gracious and kind and how wise and amazing our God is as he deals with 
what looks like a terrible situation. So we get to verse 1. The king couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. When you get to a certain age, you find you can't sleep. I don't know how old the king was, but I know something about not being able to sleep. So when I can't sleep, I get up, I make a cup of tea, I read, I like to read. I read, I might read the Bible, I might read one of the books I've got on a go at the moment, but I read, and one of the things I pray about is that I might be able to sleep. Well, the king couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. But unlike me, here we have the most powerful man in the then known world. The, if, if you can remember back to verse 1 of chapter 1, it says there that, that this, this kingdom reigned from, uh, from India to Ethiopia. It's a massive kingdom. I think it was 100, I haven't written this down, I think it was 127 provinces that, 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 that covered uh, uh, Xerxes' kingdom. And the king couldn't sleep. Now, as I say, this is the most powerful man in the world at the time. Every form of entertainment was his to keep him, to get him through the night. He's the musicians to play whatever the latest hit is in Persia. Well, I don't know anything about Persian music. I don't know what it's like. But he, it's all at his fingertips, if you like. He has a harem of beautiful women. And yet he chooses to catch up on state affairs. I don't know whether you think of things like this. It seems a bit odd to me uh, when you've got all that you could possibly want. Uh, when you can't sleep. He chooses to catch up on state affairs. And then of all, all the chapters in the court chronicles that the king has read to him, it's the record of the events that we've already read in chapter 2, uh, verses um, uh, 21 to 23. I won't read them, but, um, but I'll just remind you of what they are. They're the position where, the point where which tell of Mordecai's discovering a conspiracy. These two men want to assassinate the king. I don't know how he finds out. He's obviously a, a, a man of some ingenuity. He sits in the king's gate, you remember, that would be like the centre of affairs for, the, for, for that particular city, the, the capital city. Uh, and so he, he obviously had his ear to the ground. He, he, he gets the information, uh, Mordecai. And because Esther is now enthroned as the queen, he tells Esther, and she tells the king, and these guys are assassinated, uh, sorry, are executed. Uh, so the assassination fails, and the conspirators are hung. And you say to yourself, why this particular chapter in the history of the realm? For this took place, people, they say about four or five years before the events we're reading about right now. It was before... Haman became um, the king's favourite, so it's a it's a good it's a, a good time ago. Um, well, because the answer to the why is is it, well, it was we always turn to, often turn to Daniel, because he, as he said, the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, and this is what we're starting to see. God is in control of these events, not 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 uh, Haman, not uh, Xerxes. Uh, not even Mordecai. This is this is God at work. This this is our one our wonderful our King. So when the King he hears this report about Mordecai Mordecai sorry um, um, dealing with this assassination attempt, 
So the king asks a reasonable question. What honour and distinction has been bestowed on, been bestowed on Mordecai for this? They must have had a sort of a king's honours list. Our monarchs do, don't they? You, she, a couple of times a year, they, they, they put, place honours on people for work they've done for, uh, for the kingdom or for society. And so, but Mordecai, for some reason or other, again, according to God's rule, had been overlooked. So he'd done this, saved the king's life, but he received no, no uh, thanks for it. So the, the officials come back saying, nothing has been done for him. I could say at this point, um, we never heard a, a word of complaint from Mordecai that though he'd done this, he never, he's not like Haman, full of himself, likes to display his situation. Mordecai is not only a man of faith, he's a humble man. So when he'd done all this, all we read about him is he went back to the king's gate. That's what he always did. That's where he spent his day. That's where he spent um, his day in service of some sort. So we don't hear any word of complaint. There's a principle which has always run through the people of God, which I trust we will learn. It's one of the most difficult principles uh, uh, to, to exercise, as it were, in your own heart, if you know anything about your heart. James puts it like this. God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. I know we all want grace, but we don't like being humbled. We, we need God to deal, to deal with our hearts. But <clears throat> as, as the king asks his officials, if you move into verse 4, again we can see God's hand, um, because he says, um, who's in the court? Uh, who, uh, um, and who should... This is, this is, this is, I always think this is amazing. Who's in the court to ask what should be done for Mordecai? And, and all the people it should be, it should be Mordecai's enemy, Haman, if you look at verse 5. He's just that moment, this is how the detail of God is in amazing improvidence. Just at the right moment, Haman comes into the court. And we could say, there's so much to say, but we should say, surely... The irony of it is amazing. Both men want to speak about Mordecai, the king and Haman. But their interests in Mordecai couldn't be more different, couldn't, couldn't be further apart. Uh, I, I could recommend to you, if you, if you like to listen to other people, I, I listened to, years ago, Jean and I listened to Alistair Baird go through Esther. Um, uh, he has his own way of speaking. And, um, but it, 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 um, he does ask some really good questions. And he, at this point, he asks, a, he asks a question, is history God's plan B after the disaster of the Garden of Eden? Is history God's plan B? We, you know, politicians talk about plan B. You know, they've got this, this, this notion that, they, that they're going to fix the economy, but if it doesn't work, we've got a plan B. God got a plan B? Well, certainly not. God, God doesn't just turn up after trouble to, to clean up the mess. God planned all this in eternity. History is God's plan. None of it happens by chance at all. Because here we see the unfolding of God's plan in, in the life of his people. So 
Although from Haman's point of view, it's, all this is, if you like, due to his pride and his ambition, having made this tremendous miscalculation and gone into the court at the literally, he couldn't have gone into court a, a worse time from, from his own point of view. But, at, but God is planning all this in, in even the details of it. And as Haman's admitted into court, he can't wait to ask the king and finally deal with this thorn in his side, this, this, this Mordecai chap. But before you say a word, this is why I say we, we need to, to observe God's providence in detail. Before he can say a word, the king has a question for him. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Verse 6. Notice at this point, the king doesn't say who the man is. Again, it's, it's the way God works things. The, the, the question is perfect for the situation. So there's no mention of, of Mordecai. He just says, what should be done for the man who the king delights to honor? And here, we, I think from our own point of view, there's a lesson. Uh, we need to learn in our own lives, it's not just the major events. Big things happen to us in our family, in our job, whatever. Uh, and, and of course, we're on our knees before God when such, such. It's not just the major events. It's every little detail. And it's good to observe uh, the way God deals with us. Because it, as... Uh, Paul writes to the Romans, uh, it's all things that work together for our good. Not the big things, not the good things necessarily, they do, but it, everything works for our good. The minor details as well as the major events we need to observe. Now, uh, I could go off a tangent here, but we don't have time. But I've just mentioned that there was a Puritan uh, minister in the time of Charles I when things were really bad for the church. And he had, the king had ordered that, that all true gospel preachers should be silenced, should be thrown out of their churches. Now, there's, there's a man called John Flavel. He was at Dartmouth, and he was a godly man. And, um, and he was thrown out of his church. Uh, there's lots of history we could say, but we don't have time. But one thing this, this Puritan minister did was write a book called The Mystery of Providence. It's a classic. It's brilliant. If you're into reading, I recommend you read John Flavel's Mystery of, of Providence. But the reason I'm saying this is one thing he recommends in his book is that believers should write a journal. Write down events. See how God works in your life. Write down what you pray for and then see how God answers it and keep a note of it. The very fact that we have this book of Esther is a, somebody's journal, whoever wrote it, of God's dealings with them at this time. And so we can praise God. And if you, write, if you keep a record of, your, of the Lord's dealings with you, you'll be able to praise God all the more uh, as, as you see his work uh, in your heart and life. Anyway, back to Haman. Uh, because now he has the perfect opportunity to display his pride and ambition. Haman said to himself, the Lord lets us know, Haman said to himself, who would the king delight to honour more than me? The size of his head, you know, it's, it's amazing that this, this man really thinks he's it. He has, obviously, is number, virtually number two in the kingdom, but now he's thinking, I'm, I'm really going to be exalted. So he's straight out with the answer. Haman said to the king, 
For a man whom the king delights to honour, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse the king has ridden, and on whose head the royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the Lord delights to honour, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. That's verses uh, 7 to 9. This is brilliant. I, I think this is absolutely amazing. It's, it's wonderful. We talk, talk about Psalm 2 and the Lord shall have them in derision. This is, this is Haman. I don't know yet. Uh, and because this is what the king says. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure you must think it is amazing. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes, the horse, as you have said, and do to Mordecai the Jew, who sits in the king's gate. Leave nothing that you have, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. I don't know, but can you, can, can you imagine the state of Haman's head? What was going on in, in his mind? It, it must have been it must have been an absolute turmoil. He's just recently been elated with the thought of hanging this chap, and now he's got to take him out and display display him uh, before all the public. Now he's entrusted with the job of bringing bringing about Mordecai's public exaltation. Of course, at the same time, his own humiliation, because. The enmity between, this is really, again, God's details, de detailed dealings, if you go back to chapter 3, because the enmity between Mordecai and Haman was public knowledge. If you remember, the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. Um... They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. So the thing was public knowledge, and, and certainly in the king's gate, and the people that mattered, where all the uh, information was flowing. So now we, we come to see, according to God's amazing providential ways, the downfall of Haman and his, and his total grief. Verse 12. Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. As Solomon wrote, as I quoted earlier, the expectation of the wicked will perish. What a day. You say, what a day. What a day for, for the Jews. What a day for Mordecai and Esther. Uh, and, and what a God we have. The Jews, the Jews celebrate this day up until now. They have a feast. They call it the Feast of Purim. And they, and they go over these events and who wouldn't? This was the salvation of the nation because Haman's plan was to wipe out every Jew in those 127 provinces. Uh, so this, this, this in day was a day for the Jews to celebrate. Where's Mordecai? It says, Haman rushed to his home to hide himself and tell his friends and his wife. Mordecai went and sat in the king's gate. He did what he always did. I always remember... The times I always remember um, an account in the journals of, of John Wesley, the the, rev, the rev, rev preacher in the big revival in the eight, uh, 1700s. And somebody came up to him and said to him, "If somebody, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do?" 
or today rather, what would you do? He said, I'd get my diary out and I'd look to see what I'd planned and I'd do it. Because he was so convinced that he ran his life according to what the Saviour wanted him to do, he would do it. This is Mordecai, see. Whatever was going on round about him, he goes back to the king's gate. You can be confident if you're walking with the Lord. Uh, as the song says, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on a way. And you can carry on with your daily lives, whatever is going on around you. Because we can rest assured that it is God that's in control. Anyway, I must press on. Haman um, goes, tells us, this is another strange, strange, and if there was time, you would want to do a study on this. Um, Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. You feel like, who needs families? A family like this anyway. He's already on his knees. He's, he's in turmoil in his mind. He's had to be publicly humiliated. His, his enemy is... Is, is on the on the top of his day, as it were, and now his wife. They say, "Well, you've had it. That's forget it. This is this." And I would like to have had time to, to find out why they, if there's a point point of finding out why they thought like that. But anyway, we have to say God's timing is perfect. We see His hand in all these ev- events, and this does wonder. If if when you read this sort of thing, it does wonders for your faith. You see, God can do whatever God chooses to do. And he doesn't do it on the spur of the moment. He planned this back in eternity. History is God's plan. Uh, and it does wonders for our faith to read the scriptures, to read events, to read biographies of modern-day Christians and Christians throughout the history of the church and see how God is at work. But we must move on. The, the, <coughs> the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said this to his, um, to his trainees, at his, he had a pastor's college, and, and at, his, at his college he said this to his pastors, whatever your text, so wherever we've got to preach, I've got the text, I was given Esther chapter 8, whatever your text, make quick strides to Jesus Christ, because that's what all the scripture is about. That's, that's Jesus said, these are they that speak of me when he was talking in um, John's Gospel, I think it is. Now, when our Saviour... So, so history is, is the unfolding of the plan of God's salvation, wherever we're reading about it, even here in chapter 6 of Esther. This is his ultimate purpose, your salvation. And that's where all history is heading. When our Saviour, Jesus, was here among men... He had one objective, the salvation of his people to bring glory to his Father. That's what it was. That was the purpose. That was his purpose. Um, Satan had a purpose, and that purpose was the destruction of Jesus Christ, the overthrow of God's plan of redemption, and the ruin of creation. And like the book of Esther, so it is with God's plan of redemption. The hope of the righteous brings joy and the expectation of the wicked will perish. So as in this book of Esther, we see the Lord's timing in all the details. 
we see the same in God's plan of redemption, salvation. The devil's agents, the Jewish rulers, if you like, who persuaded the Roman governor, uh, or sorry, persuaded the crowd to call uh, for Jesus' death. Um, And they stirred up the mob to such an extent uh, that the governor, to keep the peace, Pilate, to keep the peace, agrees to have Jesus crucified. Jesus' followers scatter. Peter, one of his closest friends, denies even knowing the Lord Jesus. The crowd taunts the Saviour. On the cross, while he was on the cross, they were saying, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. So alone, bereft of help, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It just seems like the devil has achieved his objective. Just like Haman thought he'd achieved his objective. But, and you can, I, this, this thought did come into, into my mind. You think of all the devil's attempts through the history of the people of God in the Old Testament um, uh, to destroy the people of God, like Haman's effort, came to nothing. They failed. But you could think the devil, I don't know, could the devil be thinking like this? Does he think like this? That may have failed. I, 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 didn't, make it, I didn't make it that time. What does it matter? I've just killed God's king. What does it matter? I don't know whether the devil thinks like that. This just went through my head. But you think like this, his hellish, if you like, fiendish rejoicing, just like Haman's, is so short-lived. For all that has taken place that I just described there, uh, the, the devil's work in destroying our saviour on the cross, all that took place because of God's plan. And you can read it throughout the Old Testament. So just briefly, um, they, they mocked Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53, chapter 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When the mob mocked Jesus, they were just fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 8, which took place, of course, hundreds of years before. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They, they wag their heads. He trusting the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. That was prophesied to the detail. When they crucified Jesus, the psalmist despi- uh, described again in Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Every detail of what the devil thought was his plan to destroy our Lord Jesus Christ, was God's plan to to achieve our salvation. This is our God. This is how how he works. Uh, He has has had these gracious purposes for for us, his people, before time began. But as far as the enemy is concerned, the expectation of the wicked perishes because of the Lord's grace. So the Lord laughs. He laughed. He laughed at all that was planned. Um, uh, and not only does the Lord laugh, but if you go to say somewhere like Revelation 19, the, the church shouts, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The question has to be, what is your expectation? Haman expected to get the, or the 
Mordecai, Mordecai hung. Uh, Mordecai looked for salvation. What's your expectation? Salvation is assured, but only in that offering that our Lord Jesus Christ made on the cross. So what part do you have? Whose part are you with? Will your expectation be ruined? Or are you trusting solely in our Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, if you don't the, the, the one sin, if you like, that will exclude you from heaven that we can be sure of is not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to believe on... So what, where is your faith? Is it anchored? Do you have such a hope? Will you, are you like a Mordecai who says, God will save me because I trust in the Saviour? And Jesus now offers you that very same way of escape. He gave a way of escape for Mordecai and Esther and he planned it all and it all was all achieved. He's made a way of escape through, from hell, from death, from all uh, the horrors of such an eternity in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he waits. He waits because he, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called? The work's been done. The details can all be read if we had time in the scripture. Uh, and the offer is there. And it's all been confirmed. It's all been assured because not only did the Lord Jesus die uh, to deal with our sin, not only did he lead a life of per perfection to provide us with a righteousness, but God stamped his complete approval on it all by raising him from the, raising him from the dead. Such is the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. So I chose, I hope, I chose to sing 109 as a closing, a closing song.